0: Of Better Practice Better Life. Go to actdental.com forward slash BPA or hit the link in the show notes. Yo, yo, yo! Hey guys, welcome back to another amazing edition of the Best Practices Show podcast. This could be one of my favorite of all time. We interview an amazing human being. Her name is Dr. Rachel Baroni. She's awesome. And she's a member of the Act Dental community and the Global Diagnosis community. And what she's done in her practice is life changing. She learned that more is not better. More is just more. And she shares her story. So we labeled the podcast today, Less is More, How One Dentist Radical Approach Transformed Her Practice. You have to listen to this. It will change your life if you apply some of these principles. So I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you soon. Hey guys welcome back to the best practices show podcast. I have a I have a feeling this is going to be one of my favorite of all time only because I'm going to interview a a new upcoming rock star. She's not really a new rock star. We've known she's a rock star for a long time and it's going to be on one of my favorite subjects of all time which is the whole time thing in changing your hours and getting the right people in the right seats which is a lot harder than we think it is. And you have to learn from that. And I've got an amazing human being here. Her name is Dr. Rachel Baroni, And she's not only a great member of the ACT dental community, but she's also a member of the global diagnosis community. She's been through Dawson, Panky Spear. She's razor sharp. And you guys are going to learn a lot. So Rachel, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's absolutely a privilege.
0: Yeah, so I always want to start here. I want people to know who you are. So give us a little bio on who you are and then we're going to get into this topic.
1: Oh, sure. I'd be happy to. Um so my dad was actually a dentist and I grew up in a small town in Kansas. So I got to see the way he practiced and the impact he had on our community growing up and just always stuck with me. So um you know, I then decided to follow in his footsteps. I went to dental school at Virginia Commonwealth University. And then i did a one-year aegd at the university of florida in st pete and um yeah both of those experiences were just fantastic I, I got a lot of great foundational knowledge um and then i moved out to colorado after residency and i ended up purchasing my practice in 2019 and have been running it ever since so i get to live in beautiful Boulder, colorado and um, enjoy all the stuff that's available here, hiking and biking and camping. And just, I feel very, very fortunate to get to be here.
0: Yeah. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law live there. And I think mm. it's one of the most beautiful places ever. So awesome, awesome, awesome. And take us on this journey. You know, we're going to be talking about hours. And I'll, I'll just go there and kind of point us in the right direction. You changed your hours. <laughs> you got right people in the right seats. And then the third thing you said is it's finally mine. So (laughs) let's, uh, let's start here. What, what's the why for the journey? Like what's the big why for you in making all of these changes?
1: Yeah. You know, I think it was just as I've kind of grown as a clinician and as a person, I, I kind of started to have better clarity around what I wanted in my life. And I just, I realized that it's very important to me to have time and space away from the office so that I can show up and be the absolute best practitioner I can be when I'm at the office. And I wanna be able to show up fully for my team, my patients and and just anyone I have the privilege of serving. So I realized that when I was working longer hours and not really giving myself breaks, I just was depleted. I was starting to feel burnout. And so the shift in hours has not only served me and being able to be rejuvenated and resourced to come into the office, it's also really served my team. And I have to have their backs because they have mine every single day. And I want to make sure that whatever we're doing fits for all of our lives, not just what's going on in the practice.
0: Yeah. So give us a little glimpse of what your hours were. What did they used to be? And what are they now?
1: So we used to work from eight to five, um, Monday through Thursday, and then sometimes we would do nine to one on Fridays, depending if we had some overflow um, or you know just catch up lab work, anything like that that we needed to do. And you know, I have team members that I, I'm very fortunate. I have team members that really are dedicated to work for our practice, but they drive. Some of them drive from you know thirty minutes to an hour away to get to the office, and we were finding that not only were the days really long, we were leaving exhausted, but then some of these team members had really long commutes. Um, and when the weather gets bad in Colorado, it's snowy, it's sleety, uh, you know, and they're not as safe driving home in the dark. So we all kind of made the decision as a team that we wanted to reevaluate what our office hours were. And we, we really had a lot of discussions around what works for us as a team. I, it was really important for me to be able to make sure that it wouldn't just fit my life; that it would fit the life of my team members as well. Um, the gentleman I bought my practice from, his name's Dr. Jerry Savory, and you know he often said to me, "People help support that which they create," and I've kept that with me for years now. And it's really it's so true in terms of team buy-in with anything. Is Giving them the autonomy, the respect, the space to, to be a part of that decision just creates more, um, yeah, just more buy-in and, and more support of whatever that decision is. So we all talked about it a lot and we decided that 7.30 to 3.30 were hours that would work well for us. It would allow us to, we, you know, most of us got to the office pretty early anyway, and that time was kind of being wasted just in prep for the day. And then by leaving at 3.30, even if we run a little late, the latest we get out is 3.45, maybe 4, and it makes their commutes home so much easier. They're not in rush hour traffic. If it's wintertime, they're leaving closer to when the daylight is happening. And so, um, yeah, it's just been a really good shift for our team. And now I don't think any of us could imagine working until 5.
0: Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that, and then also there was there was an event, you know, with a team, and you're like, "We're just this is a good opportunity for us to try this and change the hours." Can you speak to that and how it kind of worked into what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. So one of our hygienists had a planned um, vacation where she was going to be off for three weeks, and one of the barriers I think when you're thinking about changing your hours is the hygiene schedule because it books out so far in advance. So we had had this whole conversation with the team buy-in and really gotten excited about changing our hours. But because of the way the hygiene schedule was booked, we didn't think we would be able to do it until August. And my front office manager had the brilliant idea of testing these hours, these new hours, while our hygienist was out since we didn't have hygiene patients anyway. And so we, we did that with our restorative schedule. And after a week, my assistants and my office manager and I all said, I don't, think we can wait until August by waiting. Like we just had the taste of it. And it was so nice to have the space and the afternoons to ourselves. So I have to give huge props to my team. They really worked hard to make this a reality. Um, there were many hours on the phone, rescheduling hygiene patients, rearranging the schedule. But so as a result of their hard work, we've been able to implement this since April. And it's just been incredible for our practice.
0: Yeah. And can you speak to this, Rachel? A lot of people say, I couldn't do that. Like no <laughs> one's going to, all my, my practice is going to die. Like no one can come in those hours. Can you speak that?
1: Oh gosh, I'd be happy to. Cause you know, I think it is, you know, it's, those are very rational and normal fears to have. Um, you know, because I think we are, In this profession we do we want to serve our patients we want to make sure that we're meeting their needs and that's a really beautiful thing but i think in doing that we sometimes forget our own needs and um you know what i have found in my own practice is by changing the hours we haven't lost a, a single patient we've had i think two patients that have had a little bit of challenge just in the way that their schedules work, but we've been flexible and creative and we figured out ways to, to be sure that they're still accommodated. And for the most part, I, you know, our patients are really lovely humans and they want us to have a good life too. And so when we tell them why we're changing our hours, that it makes the commutes easier on the team that it allows more time with family, they're in support of it. Cause they want to be with their families. They know what that feels like. And so they want that for us as well.
0: Yeah. I said this before, but I'm so proud of you. Like it, it's just so <laughs> fun to watch you do this. And I want to go back to a word that you use, which is creative. You've also done mm-hmm. something very unique around the lunchtime thing. Cause I get that question a lot. What about lunch? Can you explain your philosophy on that?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that was a question that came up for us a lot when we were trying to figure out if this would work for our practice and in what capacity. And you know, again, I really wanted to enlist the input of the team. It was really important to me that we were not creating a schedule that was not sustainable. That's the most important thing because we're the ones who have to come in and do it every day. And, and so when I brought this to the team and I asked them what their needs were around lunch, everyone had different needs. So one of my hygienists only wanted 30 minutes for lunch. And for her, that works. So we built her hygiene schedule using our block scheduling system to make sure that she got 30 minutes for lunch. But my other hygienist wants an hour for lunch. And so we built her block schedule to match what her needs are around her lunch so that she can decompress and show up more fully for her afternoon patients. And I'm someone who I really do need downtime. I need space. Kind of to to regroup over lunch. I need space to clear my head, um, so I need an hour. But my assistants don't need an hour. They don't want an hour for lunch, and they find it to be a little excessive. So what we've worked out for my schedule is that we honor my hour lunch, but we give the assistants thirty minutes of work that doesn't need my me to come into the operatory. So whether it's delivering clear aligner therapy or doing a, a, an occlusal splint adjustment or something like that. Um, we've, we've designed it in a way that I still have that buffer, but that my team is still engaged in getting to do the work that they want to do. And it's worked out really well for us.
0: I love it. So I'm going to play a dentist (laughs) who's listening to this podcast. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Rachel, (laughs) I'm driving to work and I'm listening to this podcast. I'm already doing the math. I'm trimming hours. How, how is this good? (laughs) And you said something before we hit the go button about efficacy. I, I, I don't even want to try to re-say what you said because it was so good. Can you explain one of your learnings in this process?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that we as, as a culture and as dentists, we all want to be really efficient. And it's not that efficiency isn't important, but I think it's, we underestimate how important being effective is and how important efficacy is and so what I mean by that is you know if we can be effective with the way that we use our time then the efficiency comes and for us we I own a small restorative fee for service practice and in that model efficacy is what matters you have to be effective in the way that you communicate you have to be effective in forming relationships and building trust with patients and you have to be effective with the way that you schedule and it seems like there's more work on the front end with that but it pays dividends in the back end and it actually allows for you to be more efficient because you have the patient who trusts you who trusts your process who is is engaged in the care that they're getting and then you have a team that can support you with a very effective schedule and and the efficiency comes and i have to say like to the point about cutting hours you're absolutely right that there are fewer hours but my we have built our block schedule in a way that we have daily production goals and we have been just as productive if not more productive since cutting our hours than we were before there's a lot less wasted time um you have to be effective with how you use your time when you're doing a model like this you can't um you can't schedule ineffectively but as a result you get more time with your family. You get more time away from the office. And again, we're finding that we're more productive with this shift.
0: Rachel, it's so counterintuitive. You're trimming <laughs> hours, cutting these things back, and yet more productive. Give us give us your hypothesis a little bit more. You gave us a glimpse, but what's your real hypothesis of what's really happening in your practice as a result to do yeah. that?
1: I mean, I think it's just that, again, we created enough engagement from the team and there's enough, we've we've really been intentional. Also, I have to give credit, like, like Kirk said, you know, we've been working with ACT for several years at this point. And so we've been very intentional about building systems that work for our practice and having everyone kind of know what roles they play in upholding those systems. So I think we did the work foundationally to then be able to have that be our springboard toward these new hours. And you know, so I think because we have the system, we have a block schedule that if we just plug into the block schedule and, and manage it effectively, then we'll hit our production goals. And that has been a really big part of it. And the team I think is more energized around it because they had a say in it. They got to help build this, this new um, kind of new vision for the practice essentially. And they're feeling the benefit of being able to go home and be with their family. So they show up more engaged and, and just ready to work.
0: Yeah. And shout out to your coach. Who's one of the best. Her name's Courtney, and she raves about you. And I hope this doesn't upset other (laughs) clients. She's like, Rachel's one of my favorite of all time. So this (laughs) is so cool. And it's, it's fun to watch you do this. And, um, Mm. So again, we're just proud of you. And one of the things that you mentioned too, right people, right seats. It's a concept we teach. I believe in it. Mm-hmm. It is not easy. Can you speak to your journey?
1: <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right. It is so much easier said than done. And um it's definitely but it's been a practice changer for us. And I have to give so much credit to your organization and to Courtney for Coaching us through as we were, we were kind of making these transitions to get the right people in the right seat. It's a hard thing to do. Um, you know, I inherited a practice that was just incredible in so many ways. It had such a good foundation, a kind, wonderful patient community, a wonderful team. Um, you know, that it was just really, I couldn't have been more fortunate. And I over time needed to be able to transition it into a reflection of me and the way I practice. And so what we found is there were a couple of team members who didn't transition as well into my model of practice. And we really, we tried to support them in the best way we could. But what we learned is that by having them in the office, it actually detracted from the other team members' ability to show up with enthusiasm and, and presence to the work that they were doing um so and there were people i you know i also hired that weren't good fits before i knew better and and knew kind of what to look for and the thing that has been i think i know you talk about it a lot kirk but the thing that has been so instrumental for me to be able to get the clarity is having core values and a core purpose and i feel like i now have them you know they're posted all over the office we do core value celebrations once a week they're the hill i'm gonna die on like they are what i value in my practice and if people do not align with them then doesn't make them a good or bad person there's no judgment here it's purely that they're just not a good fit for me and the the type of practice i'm trying to create right and so you know once i had that clarity it made so much more sense in terms of who was who was kind of going with me and who was maybe not going to be in as alignment as well. Um, You know, so I would say that was really hard. But you know, again, the support I got from Courtney was wonderful throughout that process. And it was also the template we used. the core values were the template we used for our hiring process. So we we had an assistant who left our practice in October of last year. And we didn't end up hiring a new one until January of this year because we needed someone who fit the core values. And it's really easy to get a warm body in a seat, but the impact that that can have if they're not a core values fit can be so, so draining on the team, um, on the management, <laughs> on the patients, the patients can feel the, the dissonance there. So, you know, I've had examples of that too, where we were just in a pinch and we'd had a position open for so long that we just hired kind of the next most qualified person. And it it really ended up being detrimental to the practice and the morale and ultimately just created a lot more work for all of us.
0: Right. I hope I'm, I want to pass this baton to somebody and have (laughs) them go farther with this because, and I'll just share this with the listeners. I believe so much in what you said, Rachel, It makes me so happy for you to say this. And when I say this in meetings, whether it be in dentistry or whatever, people go, yeah, 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 that's great. Okay, next. What's the next thing? I'm like, you just threw that away. Like, that's like (laughs) the most important thing because it was said several decades ago and then it got to be a little lofty. Why don't you, why are people not embracing it as much as you think in dentistry? I'm just curious from your vantage point.
1: Mm, like embracing uh, core values, right people, right seeds or core values. Yeah, core values oh, yeah.
0: first. Yeah, because yeah, because I heard it a lot early in my career, and I was like, yeah, that's totally true. And okay, next thing, and I skipped over it. And what I know now, mm-hmm. I'm totally borrowing your line. It's the hill mm-hmm. I'm going to die. On. I mean, I don't want to die anytime soon, but like, yeah, we're not going <laughs> back. You know yeah. what I mean? So
1: yeah, I fully agree. Like i I think like it feels like practicing in the dark versus practicing in the light and um you know i think at least for my own journey um my dental school did a wonderful job of giving getting me to the point where i could be a practicing dentist and i understand so much the limitation of you only have four years to take people from zero to dentist um so we didn't get a lot of business training And we we got the basics, we got the stuff that we needed to know, but we didn't get the the like nuts and bolts of what it takes to run a business that is, you know, effective and profitable and that, that feeds your, your lifestyle and, and your, your desires. So I think it's just a lack of, I mean, a lack of knowing, a lack of familiarity around it. And then I know for me, when I was learning about core values, it kind of felt overwhelming um you know I, I read some of the books what is it the patrick lencioni book and then there's like a the harvard business review article where he talks about it and i remember reading it and thinking like all the stuff that i thought were my core values like loyalty and integrity you know those don't go deep enough right. and so it does it takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of patience and i mean i think between the management group in my office and Courtney, we reworked the core values, probably four or five times to, to really make sure that they felt in alignment. Um, but again, like now that we have them, I can't imagine not having them. And what I realize is like, they are such a reflection of me that I, I live them without realizing it in my daily life as well. And I like, I find that it's, it's kind of become like an internal barometer around how I spend my personal time as well as the time at work.
0: (laughs) So true. So true. Mm -hmm. So how do you do this? If I'm a dentist listening, you, Mm -hmm. you said right person, right seat, Rachel, help me. If I'm listening, how (laughs) does, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. Well, again, I think it comes back to core values because you have to know who the right person is. Like you can have, as we know, like there can be many different types of dental assistants, many different types of hygienists, many different types of dentists, and you have to know what your practice needs, and and not just that they're going to to come in and be able to do their job, but how are they going to engage as a part of a team, and how are they going to be able to kind of support you in totality, in your mission for the practice, in the purpose, in the way you care for people. So I think, again, like getting very, very clear on what your core values are is the very first step. And then I use those as a benchmark when I'm interviewing people. You know, I I really try to get a sense of, and we can even ask questions in the interview that are kind of in alignment with our core values and, and just try to get a sense of, is it something that this person really can can be in alignment with or is it something where maybe they're just not as good a fit and and that's been really like our our guiding principle we use them for everything and we talk about it as a team afterwards so for example when we were hiring our most recent hygienist um we we gave her a list of our core values we asked questions around the core values we really like made it a, a big part of the interview process because it is so important to us and our existing hygienist, she's kind of our lead hygienist was there during the interview. And afterwards, we had the conversation in terms of does she meet our core values? Is she going to be a good fit? Is she going to, you know, kind of help take the load off of the the lead hygienist and further, further the practice in the way that we want to go? You can't go somewhere if you don't have a roadmap. And I feel like the core values are a little bit of our roadmap is like, we, we use them to just be sure that we have the right people to, to take us in the direction we're going.
0: Right. So that speaks to right people. Tell me about right seat mm-hmm. for you. And I'll throw one complex question. <laughs> and I don't want to lead you with this question, but which one's more important, right person or right seat? And what happens when you have the Mm -hmm. right person, but they're not in the right seat? So I get these questions. I figure I just, I would just hand them to you (laughs) (laughs) because, because it's real. It's very real. This is real stuff. You know, any Mm -hmm. thoughts you have on those?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, so the right seat thing, it can be a little bit more nuanced. Like I think about when we had, we had a, a person in our practice who was like a I mean, I guess you technically they weren't quite the right person because they weren't a hundred percent a core values fit. But there were things about her that was a core values fit, and we really tried to see: do we need to be creative, and maybe she's just not in the right role? And we we really talked about it and tried to think if there was another position in the practice that would serve her better um, and and speak to her talents more. But unfortunately, um, I think being not a good core values fit then just made the right seat part kind of a moot point. So I think it's, if you have the right person, I think the other thing is that your seat can evolve over time, I would imagine, which is kind of exciting. Because I think if you think about, I know for me, what what excites me and what keeps me engaged in my life and in my profession is the opportunity for change and growth and, and metamorphosis. And you want that for your team as well. And sometimes you get in a position where the team you know, they're a hygienist, they kind of have the mindset of, I'm just a hygienist, I'm going to be a hygienist forever, I'm going to, or you have other people who really want to be able to grow. And so maybe you have someone who's a rock star assistant, and she then takes on more and more responsibility and maybe grows into an office manager position. It's just, it allows, I think, as long as there are core values fit, at least in my office, as long as there are core values fit, I can generally figure out where they should sit in the office and allow it to, to change over time.
0: That is so well said. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank now, you. I also want to go back to something you said. You said core purpose. What mm-hmm. did Rachel, I'm listening to this. What does that mean?
1: <laughs> well, for us, it's like, why, why do we even exist? Why are we in the, why are we getting out of bed every day and going and providing dental care to people? And for us, it's about providing person-centered dentistry that helps a patient understand and take ownership of their dental and overall health so that we can create lasting relationships and lasting health for them. And and that's another thing that, again, the team kind of allows us to or the, the team buys into and that allows us to gauge, you know, not only... Are the team members that we have good fits for the practice, but also do our patients match our core purpose? Like, I think that's something we don't always talk about or as readily talk about. But I don't have to be everybody's dentist, and you know, one, I'd be exhausted by being everybody's mm-hmm. dentist. But two, my style doesn't work for everyone, and that's okay. But if I have people who, you know, we understand our core va- core values for the team, the core purpose for just why we exist, then we can attract patients who value what I value and that want what I'm providing. And then we can all just enjoy work a lot more and, and actually help people in a really meaningful way.
0: Totally agree. Your favorite people care about the same things that you care about and it just makes mm-hmm. your day fun. Um, I want to just ask, I have some, there's, there's some things we haven't <laughs> talked about that logistically... <laughs> I think we need to call them out and I'm going to freak out the dentist who's listening, who is thinking, oh my gosh, I'm trimming all this time and it's still going up. How yeah. does that work? You also do team meetings. We haven't talked about mm-hmm.
1: that.
0: <laughs> yeah. When the heck yeah. w- When the heck would you find time to do that, Rachel? When would I do that?
1: <laughs> well, ours, you know, we have a two hour team meeting every Wednesday morning. So once a week we meet from 7.30 to 9.30. <laughs> I know. Wait,
0: crazy. 7.30 to 9.30. So you're cutting out two more hours? And I'm having, yeah, I'm having fun all. with you. Cause I get these questions. Two, no, totally. more, two more hours of patient time to, to what? Mm-hmm. To meet with your team? Yeah. For two I hours mean, every week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it sounds like lunacy, but right. it's actually, again, like it's one more of those things that I mean, we, I can't imagine not having, having the space to be able to one connect with them because, I, I love my team for the humans that they are, and they come in and support me in such a beautiful way. And they give me their most valuable resource, their time. So I wanna make sure that when they're there, we're, you know we're a work family and that we care for and tend to one another. And then in doing that, we can care for and tend to our patients. So this is, it's a time that we use for connection. I literally had my hygienist this week. You know, we always go around and say what our business highs and lows are and our personal highs and lows are to start the meeting. And I had a hygienist who's relatively new to our office, um, who I don't think has experienced team meetings like that before. And she reflected to me. She said, I really enjoy that. It's like the pressure release valve. And we all just get to know where everybody is. And we get to take some time and, and connect with each other. And I think we under we undervalue things sometimes if we can't put a dollar amount on them. And this is something that I think personally in my office is invaluable. I, I would absolutely not think of putting a patient during this meeting. It's like the time that we get for connection and growth is so invaluable. And then we use this time too, to make sure we're aligned. I mean, we make sure that our systems are in place, that we don't need to Um, you know, change anything. And also we, it's a forum for the team to be, to be able to express whatever's on their minds so that we can allow it to be resolved as opposed to, I mean, what I had before was just a monthly team meeting as opposed to a weekly team meeting. And what I found is things would just backlog until this monthly meeting rather than having a, a five minute conversation about it. Inevitably it would just kind of get pushed to the back burner, pushed to the back burner. And so if we had something that happened that was maybe an activating experience for our team members, it wouldn't actually be addressed. And it would either be swept under the rug and create resentment, or it would be brought up three weeks later when no one really is feeling engaged about the problem anymore. And so it just allows us to keep a pulse on the practice and keep us moving in the right direction. And I think it goes back to being effective. It allows us to be more effective with the time that we do have and schedule and, you know that time together pays dividends toward what we're actually trying to accomplish for our practice.
0: I love it. And again, I get these questions, so I'm just going to give them to you. Yeah. Rachel, 2 hours? What would I <laughs> do you use the whole 2 hours? Like it's that's a lot of time. What would I talk to my team about for 2 hours? How would you respond to that question?
1: Yeah. I mean, I thought the same thing when I was starting. I thought, "Oh my gosh, that's so much time. What am I going to do?" Um but i find that there's so much stuff to do within the practice and little and it doesn't all have to be big stuff it's just nuanced tweaks or 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 team building that kind of gets us all on the same page that i i feel like two hours flies by like something just as an example that we've been really trying to implement in our practice and i feel like this is true of other practices i've been in previously is trying to have like a consistent protocol um, and comfort level with implementing dental photography. And that is just inherently a challenging thing, both in terms of where does it fit in an appointment? Who should be the one doing it? Should it be the doctor, the assistant, the hygienist? What are we looking for? How do we evaluate the quality of the photos? i mean there's a lot that goes into taking good dental photos um and they're very diagnostic and important and so you know we we have an in our office we have an assistant who's really passionate about photography so we've named her jokingly the photography czar and we're giving her time and space to to kind of develop and create a way in which she can teach others to use the camera know what to look for when you're taking these photos practice on each other i mean The time goes by so quickly and it also, again, gets us in alignment so that we're not just wasting our time rushing through taking photos and then none of them are useful or diagnostic. We then have a quality product at the end of it too that we can use to help the patient understand their oral health and and what may be going on in their disease process more effectively.
0: Love it. That is so well said. I've got like 12 other questions for you. (laughs) But I want, I want to, I want to, we're going to save those for another podcast on okay. uh, just some of the nuances and the details. Cause I love the way you think. And, um, Thank you. I want you to speak to anybody that's listening to this, any final thoughts about changing your hours and, and really this, again, it's easier said than done, you know, this is a bold move. And what would you, any final thoughts you'd say to somebody listening about this move?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the thing that has been so important in my life and and in my journey as a practice owner is really being clear on what I need um, from my practice and what I need from my life. And that means, you know, there's, of course, the financial need, like we all have bills to pay. We all have debt that we need to service or vacations that we want to go on. I mean, we we want to live a. a a nice life. But I think that I, I found myself falling into the thought that more is more, and we just need to, like, produce more and have more patients and more operatories and longer hours. And, and that it's just this kind of all consuming growth. But what I learned is that it felt like growth for the sake of growing, not growth, that was in alignment with what I actually want out of my life and my practice. And so when I got really, really clear on what I want out of my life and my practice, I realized that the most important thing for me is time. I mean, I heard you sit speak at the AES um, several years ago, Kirk, and I heard you say time is the new rich, and I cannot get that out of my head. (laughs) Like, I, I think that you know, I had to figure out what was, what was enough for me, and that number isn't the same for every single person. But what is enough? Hours in the dental office that I can support my team and myself and my practice, and what's enough time away so that I can recharge and come back as the best human I can be and the best practitioner I can be. So that was a big, um, you know, a, a very detailed and 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 conscientiously done process. It wasn't something that I kind of rushed through. But once I had that number and I knew what was important to me then i could build my practice around that and the hours change became something that wasn't scary it felt it felt imperative it felt like if i don't do this i am going to be miserable and and so i would just say if you can have clarity on what you need and want out of your practice and realize that you you are not in service of your practice your practice is in service of your life and if you can remember that and and then you can start kind of shaping things to be in alignment with that, I think you'll find that it's pretty easy to change your hours.
0: Rachel, so well said. (laughs) Thank you. We as a team are just so proud of you. And I know this is only the beginning of great things that you're going to do and help other people with. So um, great, great job. I, you know, this is your practice. And you're also growing as a clinician. I want you to talk about your journey as a clinician. And you know, everybody that's listening knows I'm very, I love the GDE whole purpose. I love the mission. Not only they're incredible clinicians, but they're even better human beings. And you're part of that, you know? And so talk about your journey in global diagnosis. What is it? What do you do? Like, what have you done? You've done a lot. And you're continuing <laughs> to grow as a clinician. What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I feel so fortunate that I found the global diagnosis community. I um, I have really tried to make it my mission throughout my my career to learn and grow as a clinician in whatever ways that felt um, available to me. So I did the Dawson continuum when I was in residency. I've since done spear courses. I've completed Panky Essentials um and all of it is wonderful information but it wasn't until i got to global diagnosis that all the pieces from each of those different camps kind of came together in a really clear way for me um and dr otten and dr robbins have just been incredible mentors they are incredibly knowledgeable but also so generous with their time and their resources Um, anytime i have a question or have a difficult case or just want to talk through something they are available and, and again, so, so generous and open um, to sharing what they know and and helping it be of benefit for our patients and for us as well. Um, and they've become incredible friends. I just, I feel so fortunate to know them. And the, the reason I think this community feels so powerful and impactful to me is that, you know, we meet frequently enough and it's been... It's a community of people who are intentional about meeting and learning and implementing these practices. So I've gotten to know these amazing dentists across the country, and so I feel like I'm lucky to call them my friends as well. And we have um, a global diagnosis symposium that they do annually, and they they actually do it at the ACT headquarters. And the first one was last year, and it was so much fun. After having two years of being on Zoom with all these folks, to actually get to be in person and talk with them and hug them and hear about their lives and it was, and learn together. So I I would just say that it's a really welcoming community and it's led by two incredible humans. And I would highly recommend it to anyone who wants to kind of further their diagnostic skills and also just their, their skills as a clinician.
0: Yeah. I'm going to put some links to global diagnosis in um, the notes. So if you're not taking notes, we're taking notes for you. Everything that (laughs) Rachel has shared um, we'll put some notes in down into the notes feed. So you can flip up to it. You can see a link to global diagnosis, the symposium and all of those. And Rachel, they get, they have a lot of fun. We're going to make them take us to Mm -hmm. Italy, like on one of those trips that they go on. And it's, they're just, it's just sounds like they're having the time of their lives. So it's Mm -hmm. so cool.
1: Yeah. Hopefully 2024 symposium can be in
0: Rome. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I like that a lot. So awesome. Well, Rachel, I am so grateful that you came on and shared this today. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. And, you know, I just want to express my gratitude for having found your coaching program and and the work that Courtney's done to really help us kind of build the practice of our dreams. And I just also want to shout out my incredible team. I could not do any of this without them. And I feel so fortunate to get to work with them every day.
0: Absolutely. Shout out to you, your team, Courtney. (laughs) Um, This is going to be so fun. So stick around while we say goodbye to everybody else. But uh, thank you guys for listening to the Best Practices Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this, just do us a favor and hit the share button. And know one thing, you can create what you want to create. This is a real human being. She's a pretty special human being. And she made a decision to change her hours and change her life. And the message here is you can do it too. So hope you guys enjoyed that. Keep tuning in. We've got some more great stuff coming down the pipeline. And until we see you guys next time, or you hear from us next time, keep watching or keep listening to the best practices show. You guys enjoy your day. So there you have it. Another great episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hey, and thank you for showing up. I just want to thank you for being here and sharing the good word with your friends. And if you're really enjoying the podcast, could you do me a favor? Could you go to wherever you consume the podcast and just give us a four or five star review? Here's what that does. It allows us to find other great people like you. I love this profession so much. I'm going to spend the rest of my professional life